Well, good morning, FBG. It's great to be here from Liberty Hill and uh, excited to be able to worship with you guys. I'm so excited to be here worshiping with you guys this morning because the last time I was here, we were walking through a study on prayer, and we have witnessed so much fruit um, from that study. It has excited me to see how God has used our campus and and, and the campus here to be a church that saturates everything we do in the Word of God through prayer. It excites me to see that we are a people who, before we make any decision, we will seek the Lord in prayer. And I've been so excited to see all of the testimonies that have come in about that series that we did on prayer. And so it excites me this morning because we're continuing or we're starting a new series uh, that was started last week on community and how can we be the aroma of Christ in a community that is in such need of it? How can we become such a tight-knit community that we have such a steadfast love that people come running, not to us, but run to the foot of the cross? And so I'm, I'm so excited about that. This morning, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to John chapter 13. We're going to be hanging out there this morning. As you're turning there, I'd like for you to think about this. If you were to do a search on the internet about the term love, there are over 8 billion articles, books, writings on the term, on the concept of love. Now, some some of those good, many of those probably not so good. But there are over 8 billion searches that you can do or, or, or that you can pull up when you look at the term love. As Kurt mentioned a while ago, for me in my own personal life, I've experienced much of the same. We, we grow to love various things. For instance, I love Snickers bars. Love them. Can't tell it, but I love them. I also love my dog. I have a deaf red healer. His name is Rowdy. And there is a purpose behind his name. And I love that dog dearly. He brings joy to me every day when I come home from work. But I love my wife, Melissa, and I will never compare any of those loves to my love that I have for Melissa, or I better not ever compare that. And so this morning, I would like us to take a look at love, something that if we were to look into our community and ask the question, what is love for you, many people battle with. You will get different definitions from many different people. If you have a couple that's been married 60 years, you're going to get one definition from them. If you're talking to a recent divorcee, you're going to get another definition from them. If you have someone who has walked through a a, a troubled childhood versus someone who had a great childhood, you're going to be able to define love differently even in that fashion. In fact, i got two teenagers at home right now, and both of them will define love differently because of how they treat one another at times. And so when we look at this concept of love, it it really makes us ask, how can we be a community of believers who are able to grasp the concept of love and apply it appropriately? And I believe in John 13, Jesus gives us a great example through his own acts of love, his own uh, definitions of love. And so this morning, if you have your Bibles, let's just take a look real quick. We're going to be at John 13, starting in verse 34. 
Jesus says, a new command that I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. All right, we've read it. Great, we've got it. We can go home now, right? The truth is, is, is Jesus is beginning to open up a depiction for his people to understand right as he is fixing to leave this earth. You see, we have just encountered in John 13, one, the Passover meal has just taken place. So Jesus has sat down, he's had this meal with his, with his disciples, those who are closest to him, those who have spent much time with him. And, and immediately following that, we see that he gets up from the table and he goes and he wraps this cloth around him, this towel around his waist. And he begins to wash his disciples' feet. Wives, I want you to think about this for just a moment. Think about your husband's feet. For some, that might be good, but for many, that might be a bad concept to think about. And we got 12 guys who have been walking down the roadways. They have been walking through garbage. They've been walking through the sewage systems because the sewage systems back then were not very good. They were wearing sandals, which had minimal coverage. It wasn't like they had the new Nike Air that was out. And now Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, gets up from the table after enjoying a meal and begins to wash the feet of his disciples. I don't know about you guys, but the last thing on my mind after a meal is washing someone's feet. It just doesn't sound that appealing to me. Dessert sounds much better. But this is the scene that we have. And in the context that we look at in today's society, the ideal of a king washing the feet of his disciples are actually, it's absolutely absurd. A king who is performing an act that was actually set aside for the non-Jewish slave, him doing that was absolutely absurd. But for Jesus, in the moment that he's in, it was the perfect time to define sacrificial love at the perfect moment in which his disciples would need it. You see, Jesus is preparing to leave. In verse 31, he tells his disciples, now is the time for the Son to be glorified. In just a few moments, he's going to be handed over to the enemies of the, the, the servants, the soldiers of the high priest of Caiaphas. And they would take him and his suffering would begin. And so what Jesus is doing is actually in the last hours of his life readying the men who had spent the last three years of their life for what was to come. You see, up until now, life for the disciples had been get up, go hang out with Jesus, go watch him teach, go watch him preach, Watch him perform a few miracles. Watch the crowd grow only to either accept or reject him. Only to get up and do it all over again. That was life for them. I don't know about you guys, but if I got to do that day in and day out, that would be pretty sweet. But in just a few hours, he's going to be handed over and life will no longer be that way. In fact, the same men who had spent their, the last three years of their life hanging out with Jesus were now going to run scared. 
They were going to be full of fear. They were going to be running for their own lives. They're not going to be worrying about anyone else. I know that I wouldn't. And yet Jesus knew what they were going to do. Jesus knew exactly what they needed at just the right time. I want us to think about that for just a moment. When we look at the most stressful times in our lives, what are the first things that come to our minds? Because our Savior in this moment has given us a prime example of what was going through His. He uses John to define to us how in that moment He could put Himself aside in order to build up His own, to prepare them. So he starts off, he says, here's what I want you to do. I have a command for you. And that command is, I want you to love one another. But he doesn't just stop there. He says, I want you to love one another as I've loved you. You see, Jesus was thinking when he was doing this, he knew exactly what people were going to be able to hear. If I go and tell my sons, hey, I want you to love one another, what are they going to do? All right, dad, we got this. We're going to love them. Until brother goes and takes a game from another one, or until brother gets the last snack, or until brother gets whatever it is, that love at that point becomes limited, absolutely limited. And what Jesus wanted his people to understand was the love that he was talking about, the sacrificial love that he was wanting them to understand was to know he didn't want them just to love them, but he wanted them to love them as he had loved them. You see, in Deuteronomy 6.5, we see the command, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Every bit of yourself you're to love God with. And in Mark 12.30, Jesus continues on by saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And so it's evident that what Jesus is issuing is not a, a new command, but a, a command of continuation. He's taking it to a deeper level. He's wanting them to understand that Christianity is built off the basis of love. And as he tells them to do this, as I've loved you, he wants them to go back to the beginning. He wants them to understand where does love originate? You see, in the garden we see that. God, a relational God, a loving God, creates man and woman. He's relational with them. He comes, he walks with them in the cool of the day. And even when man fails God, in chapter 3, God still loves. Remember that? If you look in there, you'll see. Genesis chapter 3, man falls, he rebels, he sins against, against God, and yet God, being loving full of kindness and graciousness and mercy, sacrifices animals in order to clothe man's nakedness, in order to clothe their shame. Fast forward next to this 12, God loves his people so much that he frees them from slavery. Even though a few moments later they would be screaming and crying to go back into that slavery, God loved. God loves sacrificially so much so that we can see it throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. John 3.16, we teach our kids from the moment they're a little bitty and they're able to start talking. For God so loved the world 
And so as Jesus is telling his disciples, here's what I want you to do. He says, I want you to do it like I have. Why? Because human beings, we can limit ourselves so much on how we love other people. I love my family. I shared that just a while ago. Someone tried to harm my family. There's this rage that wants to come out in me. There's this anger that wants to come out. I want to I pull out some mad ninja skills if somebody tries to hurt my family. I want to protect them. And Jesus knew that in just a few moments, they're going to see, the disciples are going to see their king, their Lord, being taken from them. And as he's taken from them, he'll be spat on, he'll be mocked, he'll be beaten. And soon enough, he'll be put on a cross and their life is going to change. And it would have been so easy for two things to happen. One, we see the the running scared take place, but also the rage that could have come from that. The anger that could have came from it. The people that these disciples have been trained up to go and share the gospel with, in just a few moments, he's going to, they're going to witness Jesus at the hands of these people. And Jesus knew that he had to issue a statement for them in the midst of saying, hey, I'm fixing to leave this earth. I'm fixing to be gone from here. And here's what you're going to do. In the midst of doing all that, he stops long enough to say, hey, by the way, love one another just as I've loved you. Love one another. In just a few moments, the disciples would see Judas come walking up with the crowd, the angry mob, and one of their own come up and kiss him, betraying Jesus, and the mob taking Jesus into their hands. Have you ever thought about that? As I was preparing for this and and reading through this and asking the Lord to guide me on that, I've read through this text I don't know how many times. But John chapter 13, what an exemplified picture of love. Jesus gets up from the table, wraps the towel around his waist, takes the water, walks up to the man who's going to betray him. Takes his feet and ever so gently washes and caresses. And I think about that and I ask myself, God, how could I possibly love someone like that? How could I love someone? How could you, God, love somebody when you knew that you were going to be betrayed by this man? How could you love him as he's walking out the door? Why didn't you say, Judas, stop? Why didn't you remove this evil from him? Because as we look at this ultimate example of love in a king washing the feet of his servants, in just a few chapters later, we're going to see the greatest example of love. And a king dying for his people. A king laying himself down for the sake of his people. And you know, I ask myself this question. When I look at it from that point of view, when I see my brokenness, when I see my weakness, when I see my sinfulness, when I see my rebellion, when I, when I look at the fact that 
Jesus knows every sin that I've ever committed and ever will commit. When I look at the fact that when Jesus called me to be his, he knew that I was still going to be broken and in need of a daily grace. When I look at it that way, it causes me to draw back and go, how could I not love those around me? You see, in this picture, Jesus, in this moment, takes any opportunity we have of limiting love and rips the bandage completely off. There is no limit in the love of Christ. And what he's calling his people to do in that moment is love as I have loved you. It's a little bit harder for us to grasp the idea of of loving someone who might take our life. But if we put it in a Western context, let's think about it for just a moment. How easy is it to love someone who is going to take your name and slander it? How easy is it to love someone who's going to take your family's name and slander it? How easy is it to love someone who is gonna come up and hug your neck and then walk out the door and say horrible words about you? How easy is it to to love somebody who is going to try to cost you your job or, or things like that? How easy is it to, when we get down into the levels that we can grasp, how easy is it to even love that person? Yet in this moment, Jesus, Lord of Lords, King of Kings, called me to love as he's loved. Our, fan, our church, our uh, staff right now is walking through a study called Regen, and it has been such a blessing for us pastors. I mean, God has used it to draw us together even closer. We, we're seeing just a unified heart. We're, we're experiencing so many uh, blessings, getting to pray with one another, getting to just live life deeper together. It's, it's been exciting, and so Regen has been a blessing for us. Um, and two weeks ago, I got the opportunity to, uh, I was going through my study, and you got this workbook that you fill out every single week. And so in this study, two weeks ago, it asked me the question, name someone who has sacrificially loved you. And there's, there's two people in my life who sacrificially loved me, and so one of them, I'm thinking the, the human side, so I t- start talking about Melissa. And I love to write about Melissa, and I love to talk about how much she loves me. And we weren't believers when we first got together, so guys, you know, there's a lot of work she had to deal with, and a lot of love that she had to express, even in my most unlovable moments. And so I'm writing about this, and I mean, I'm just like, I can fill up the page. I'm that excited about it. I'm like, I'm getting to brag about my wife. And two pages over, I get asked another question. How has your love for others been directed by how you love rather than upon how Christ loves? C.S. Lewis once wrote, God's love for us is is a much safer subject to think about than our love for him. That happened in that moment for me. All the excitement, all the joy of writing about my wife and how much she loved brought me to a great moment of discouragement. Because I had filled up this almost this whole page writing about my wife. And on the page I had to write, my love can be very limited. You see, I at times can define love by how someone else loves me, right? If somebody calls you and says, hey, 
I love you. I'm praying for you. I'm so excited for you, right? You want to go the distance for those people. You want to go above and beyond for them. You feel the love from them. But what happens when that one person doesn't love you? Or doesn't express their love for you? Or if they express anything about you, it's something negative. You want to limit it. Yet when we look at John 13, Jesus is ripping that off, right? He's saying that's, that's not it. And at times, I think it's easy for us to all struggle in this area. I think it's easy for us to think we deserve some sort of hall pass. The yeah, but excuse. Yeah, but you don't know this. Pastor, yeah, but you have never experienced this. No, I may not have experienced exactly what you've ever experienced. None of us have all had the same life experience. But what I'm saying is when we pull back and we look at sacrificial love, when we look at the example that Jesus gave us in John 13, we have no excuse not to love others. Why? Because in the midst of our wretchedness, in the midst of our brokenness, a Savior came and He washed you and I absolutely clean. In the midst of our most sinful instances in life, Jesus Christ still gave His life for you and I. What reason do we have? What hall pass do we have in that moment? You know what excites me is, is looking at it more from that view because when I look at the idea of my brokenness not being what gets me favor with God but that He first loved, it challenges me to want to love others better. And Jesus wraps up. He says in verse 35, He says, by this all people, not some people, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. As he's wrapping up, he's letting them know, hey, there is an identity marker that you're going to take on. You see, up until this point, people have identified the disciples in various ways, such as the physical presence of the Lord. They're hanging out with Jesus. They know that people know that these guys are part of his crew. But in just a few moments, Jesus' presence, the physical presence, is no longer going to be there. And so Jesus says, hey, here's an identity marker. Here's what people are going to recognize you by. They're going to recognize you by your love. Not just by your love, but by the sacrificial love that you attain that's found in me. It becomes an identity marker. You see, for doctors, somebody can't just walk in a room and say, hey, I am Dr. Ben, right? You're in, you're prepared for a surgery, and I walk in and say, I'm Dr. Ben. You're going to look at me like, no, you're not. For a doctor, it takes credentials, it takes years of learning, it takes residencies, it takes all of that, right? By the time they walk in to work on someone, their credentials are there. And Jesus is saying, here's your credentials. You loving me, your, your, your expression of loving one another as I've loved you is an identity marker. And so for us to be the aroma of Christ, for us to be a church that it expresses a Christ cruciform love, we must love as Christ loved. And people are going to witness the love of of FBG 
both on University Avenue and Jonathan Drive, when they witness that type of love, they're going to come running. Not because of us, but because they want to know what is this love all about. When we are able to love beyond our deepest measures, when it doesn't make any sense to anyone else, it will become so recognizable that people will not be be able to do anything but run to it. Each and every week I stand up to our campus and I say, guys, we are a church that loves God, loves people, help me out, and helps others do the same. Each and every week, church, we get up and we proclaim that. Each and every week that we walk in here, we identify with that. Our identity Our identity is not found in the name. Our identity is found in what flows from us. And his name is Jesus Christ. Our identity is found in an immeasurable way. But in order to do so, we have to get past our own flesh. And at times, that's where I struggle the most, is getting past that. But once we move past that, And we express this love that is so free. We will witness some of the greatest miracles occur. We will witness people who had absolute hatred towards God because of their past, because of past relationships, because of past situations. We will witness them coming to know Him. And his sacrificial love. You see, Jesus gives us the picture of John 13 in order to understand that there is no limit when it comes to his love for his people. May we be a people who do the same. May we be a people who live by what we say in order to see others come to know him more.